Looking at reconciliation, <clears throat> Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one towards another. So the mark of the church is that we have love one towards another. But oftentimes it's not the reality. And oftentimes what we've got is we've got all kinds of complications and difficulties in relationships. And we can at times not be very good uh, at sorting them out. Now what do we say was a principal ingredient as far as resolving uh, difficulties in relationships? What do we say the principal ingredient was last week? What would we say? Okay. Humility. You've got to be humble. We've got to be humble. And we're not humble. We're proud. We're all right. That's the problem with us. We're all right. And it's, it's only <clears throat> as, we, as we get softer and let God work in us that we can actually deal with stuff and, and, and make it right. Now, you know that's true because the other guy always thinks he's right, doesn't he? Uh, <clears throat> not you. The other guy, right? <clears throat> but... Uh, that's our problem. And what we've got to do is if we're, if we're going to love the way Jesus told us we've got to love, we've got to be willing to humble ourselves and see where we've <clears throat> gotten it wrong. Right? And so we looked at the steps to seeking forgiveness, and we need to cover all that again. We, we get lost in it. Um, <clears throat> we need to be careful how we're doing it, how we're actually um, <clears throat> asking for forgiveness, and that we're actually owning the issue that we've taken on board. And then, <clears throat> number three... On page 27 there, number three. You need to confess the sin only as wide as is the offense, right? Confess, what does that mean? Confess the sin only as wide as is the offense. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll look at it. Father, would you bless us as we look to your word tonight and help us, Lord, we pray. Uh, Lord, we want to be a church that loves each other the way you told, told us to. And Lord, we want to be a place, Lord, where <clears throat> we can know your spirit and your power. And oh, Lord, would you bless now tonight. Lord, would you just draw us into your presence. And Lord, would you uh, break through in hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> confess the, <clears throat> uh, the sin only as widely as the offense. Now, here's the basic principle, right? If it's between you and God, the sin is between you and God, typically there's no reason for you to bother anybody else with it. Okay, what you do is you confess the sin between you and God. You deal with it between you and Him. Right? Just <clears throat> get it sorted on that level. If it's between you and one other person, then you deal with it with that other person. And if it's between you and a larger assembly like the church, we'll say <clears throat> somebody goes out and um, they get involved in a public order offense out there and the guards arrest them and lots of people see them and people are looking at them and say, your man goes to that church down the road, you know, that Baptist church. Right? Well, now, what that, that's actually not just an offense against the government and not against God. That's actually an offense against the church as well. And so what you do with that one is you deal with that one. That's why when it comes to, to, to church discipline, there's three steps involved in it, right? The first one is uh, somebody one-on-one. <clears throat> uh, -on -one, you know there's a problem. You go and you, 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 you confront your brother with and bring, bring it to him. And um, the issue is to deal with it there and get it straightened out. And if that doesn't work, what you do is you take it uh, <clears throat> a witness with you. And um, <clears throat> it can be dealt with at that stage. And then if that doesn't work, what happens is you take it before the church, and the issue is dealt with before the church. Right? <clears throat> and, you know, th th there's a way of dealing with things, but at each step it gets more people involved in it. Right? And the idea is to turn something around in somebody's heart and to change them, to turn, uh, to turn their hearts uh, in a different direction. Right? So 
What we're going to do is we're going to confess the sin only as widely as it affects people. Right? Now, um, Jim Berg brings up this exception. He says, the exception to this general rule is when the sinning party's actions have changed the terms of agreement for employment, uh, enrollment, and so forth. And basically what he does is, <clears throat> well, say you're, you're, in, you're in the workplace, right? And you steal in the workplace. Now, nobody knows you stole in the workplace. Right? <clears throat> But you've, you've stolen something in the workplace and you kind of uh, took it yourself. Now, <clears throat> what we might be inclined to say is, well, you know what, since nobody knows about it, I can confess the sin with, to God and deal with it in that direction. You might even go further and say, well, what I'll do is I'll confess the sin to God and I'll actually pay it back on the sly, put it in the tail on the sly. But what's happened there is you've actually violated the terms of your employment. Because your employer employed you because he knew you were honest and he knew he could trust you to actually do what you were supposed to do. And you violated those terms. So what you need to do is, to make it right, is you need to go and shop yourself. You need to go and actually tell, here's what I did, this was wrong. And, and there are certain agreements that we make in life that, you know, where, where, where we sign, typically in our day and age, we'll sign an agreement very easily, won't we? I, Microsoft, do you agree to accept all the con 15 pages of conditions? How many of you read them? No, you just press, I accept. You haven't got a clue what's in it. But you press the I accept button, haven't you? Now, <clears throat> when it comes to signing things, we can very often sign something and it means nothing to us. I had somebody tell me once, well, I was made sign it. Well, nobody can make you sign it. You sign it because you're cho you choose to sign it. But when you sign an agreement, then you honor the agreement. And that may mean that you've got to come and you've got to actually say, look, um, I did this wrong. And your boss then has the right to actually say, well, based upon what you've done, I don't want to employ you anymore. Now, is that reasonable and fair? Oh, man, that's hard, isn't it? But he has the right to, 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 to do that because what we've done is we've committed not just to do a certain amount of work for him, but we've committed to a certain level of character. So we need to remember that some things, you know, that we do in the quiet won't stay in the quiet. Ultimately, we're going to have to actually shop them. And the Bible says this, that if we, if we hide our sin, we will not prosper. So you're better off dealing with it and getting it out there and um, making it right. Then you need to be willing to accept corrective measures. Right? Now, what does it mean to be willing to accept corrective measures? What were corrective measures? What were corrective measures in the case where you had stolen something from the boss in a workplace and the boss said to you, well, look, based upon what you've just told me, I don't want to employ you anymore. Here's your P35. Uh, thanks very much. Right? Now, you'd be feeling pretty sad about that, right? That's... that's uh, reasonable as you'd be feeling pretty sad about. That would be a corrective measure. That would be, it's a fair cop. I got it wrong. And we need to be willing to accept the consequences for doing wrong. Now you say, why is that important? That seems very harsh. Nobody else does that. And all the rest of the, of the abundance of excuses were with Judas' sorrow. Ju Judas' sorrow, he was sorry, he felt awful about it, but he didn't feel awful enough about it to agree with God with it and come down on the right side of it. He, he, he dealt with the situation himself. So, godly sorrow worketh repentance. When we let God into the situation, what happens is, we are sorry we did it because it grieved him, and we want to be right. We want to be like him. Now, that's deep. Now, when we get to that place, we get to the place ultimately where David was, and David didn't care who knew. 
He did not care who knew. He didn't care. He wasn't blaming anybody else. He wasn't blaming Bathsheba. He wasn't blaming Uriah. He wasn't blaming the fact, uh, the fact that God hadn't given him enough wives. He wasn't. Listen, he just took it right on the shoulders. It was me, uh, <clears throat> me and me only, Lord. My problem. And he comes down on God's side of it. Now, notice this. Repentance like that actually produces godliness. It helps someone be godly. The sorrow of the world does the opposite. It doesn't help at all. It produces death. Okay, now, <clears throat> back to our text here. Um, <clears throat> For behold, the selfsame thing that she sorrowed after, a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. God ever convict you of something and you came to the place where you saw it as being wrong? And, 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 and you, were just, you were just cut to the bone about it. And you got it right with God. And you know what? This makes you very careful. Makes you not want to get involved in that again. Makes you want to stay very far away from that again. You don't want to be involved in that. Oftentimes, our repentance is really not there. We've got a sorrow of the world about us, and it's very easy for us to do it again. There's no real repentance. There's no real coming down on God's side of it. And by the way... <clears throat> Coming down on God's side of it's quite deep. Because how does God see sin? I see it as a small thing. Don't worry about it. It's just, you'll get, you get over it. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Does he see it like that? Sin is something that grieves him at his heart. Sin is something that takes and cuts God. So that when we sin, it cuts God. And when we enter into how God sees sin and repent about it, it's a whole different thing. We get very careful. We get very careful. You know, <clears throat> if you've ever dealt with a child, there's, there's two way kids can respond. One way is the right way and the other way is the wrong way. Right? So you take a child, a uh, child knows the rule, a child breaks the rule, and there ought not to be many rules for, uh, for a small child, but a child knowingly and willingly breaks the rule. By the way, that's the, one of the purposes why you put rules up. Because you can be sure the child's going to have a goal breaking them. Right? Everybody tests boundaries. So the child's going to have a goal break, and the child's going to break the rule. So the child breaks the rule. You explain to the child, <clears throat> you've already explained to them what the consequences of breaking the rule were. Right? <clears throat> and then you deal with the child. You take and spank the child. That's what the Bible says to do. So you spank the child for breaking the rule, and um, the child breaks and repents. Did you ever hear, if you've ever dealt with a child, you'll have dealt with a child at some point that was crying and screaming because they were angry. <laughs> How dare you humiliate me like this? Now, that's not what you're looking for. Now, now are, they so are, are they sorry? Yeah, but not the kind of a sorry you want. Right? <clears throat> now, what will happen when you're dealing with a child is because God made them small and he made those big. That's to help them with this issue. What will happen when you're dealing with a child is if you do it right and stick at it, you'll almost feel the child kind of crumple and give in. And what happens is, when they give... And by the way, this is not abusing a child. You're not hurting a child. Listen, God made them with a the padded rear end for a purpose. You do this properly, there's going to be no hurt to the child. It's going to be a help to the child. But the child crumples and gives in, and they are sorry. And you know what the most amazing thing happens then? All of a sudden, they love you. Now, it never failed to amaze me. Why would you love me when I've just dealt with you? They love you. They've broken. They, you've taken away the burden. And you know what happens? They're really careful. 
They don't want to get in trouble again. They don't want to keep things sweet between you and them. They, 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 don't, they don't want things going bad again. And, and, and that's God's way of, of, of disciplining. And when we repent, that's what happens to us too. We don't want to do it again. We don't want to hurt God again. We don't want to get it wrong again. It, it, it brings carefulness to us. Um, it brought in yea, what clearing of yourselves. And you know, when you confess your sin to God, and you really repent of it and deal with it, you know what? Everything comes out. You're not just confessing the one you dealt, you got, got dealt with a bit. You end up dealing with all of it. And by the way, you know what? When, you're, when you get down to real confession, uh, really dealing with God, you're not as perfect as you thought you were. Part of the problem for us is we're too proud and hard. And we can't see. And we're not broken. And, <clears throat> you know, we're kind of full of ourselves. That's part of the problem for us. But when we start repenting, we start dealing with... And that's the thing with a child. You know, a, a child, when, they, when they're being dealt with like that, listen, they'll, they'll shop themselves for everything. There's a clearing of yourself. There ought to be a clearing of yourself with God. Um, <clears throat> yea, what indignation. Now, what would the indignation be against sin? can't believe I did that. <clears throat> Repentance means coming down on God's side of it. And here's what we're doing. You know, <clears throat> on one side, here we are. I'm okay. What are you picking on me for? I'm all right. But when we repent, we come down on God's side of it. More and more. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I was so low. David's the perfect picture of that. You know, he's keeping up the appearance, making it look good, um, <clears throat> doing everything, and Nathan comes in and confronts him. And then <clears throat> David just comes, comes unglued. And he comes unglued. Why? Because of what he's done. And he repents of it and he goes all the way with it. And, and he's indignant. He was indignant when, when Nathan to, told him the story about, uh, about the, other, the, the, the guy who stole the sheep. But I tell you, he's much more indignant against himself when he really repents. And that's what it does. It makes us indignant. Now you know what? If, if, if you come to the place where, where you, you get real careful and you really clear yourself and you get indignant about sin. You know what you're doing? You're building a wall between you and sin. You're building a wall. You're in the place where you don't want to be there. You don't want to be doing that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, what fear? Now, what would the fear there be? What would the fear there be? Fear of the Lord. When I've done wrong, and I've displeased him, and I've gotten it right. I fear him. And by the way, fear is not so far from love as we sometimes think it is. You know, it's, it's not the fear where, you know, I'm terrified that he's going to sweep in and destroy me. I know he could, but he hasn't me. It's, it's that fear of displeasing him. I don't want him unhappy. I don't want him unhappy with me. I want his smile, not his frown on my life. This, there's a fear that comes in at that point that really helps us. Um, <clears throat> yea, what vehement desire, desire to do right. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all these things you have proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. 
Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, uh, I did it for this cause, that he had done the wrong, not for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. So here's the deal. If we truly repent, it's transforming. It's changing. You know, it's not a case of, okay, I'll never do it again. It's a case of, I hate it. That which I loved before, I now hate. I agree with God about it. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing nice about it. There's nothing right about it. I hate it. What I'm doing now is, I'm building a wall between me and sin. And the wall is between me and sin and pressing me towards God. That's sanctification. And repentance is a key part of it. And, you know, in the age that we live in, repentance is not really a big deal to us. You know, we don't see it as being a big issue. You know, we serve a God of love. You know, so he loves us no matter what, so therefore, you know what, um, no, no big deal. Well, it is a big deal. It is a big deal with God, and it ought to be a big deal with us. And repentance helps us. After you see David in Psalm 51, what do you think he did the next time he saw a woman on a rooftop having a bath? He ran. That's what he would have done. Because he dealt with the issue completely and fully. And repentance has that impact on you. I never want to do that again. I never want to be in that place again. I never want to be in the place where God is upset with me like that again. I never want to do that again. Ever. And repentance is so helpful to us when we actually go deep with it. But very often we skim the surface of it. And one of the key areas that we skim the surface of it is in our relationships. We're sorry, but not really very. We're sorry, but you know what? It's no big deal. Nobody's perfect. All right. Okay. Then look, look, look again at your sheet. A restitution. Um, remember Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus got right, what was the first thing he did? What was the first thing he did? Yeah, he wanted to give. A, who was he giving it back? If I have wronged any man, I restore it to him fourfold. Right? You know, I mean, that was kind of a crazy thing for tax collector to say, wasn't it? Because in that day and age, the, the tax collector, his whole business was doing people wrong. Rome said, we want so much money. And um, whatever you get after, that's your own. You just pay us our bit, and whatever you do after that, that's, that's totally up to you. So the tax gatherer, he was a good tax gatherer, he went out and he got a lot more, and he got rich. You know, you had to buy the position. Because uh, it was a, it was basically a license to mint money for yourself, right? <clears throat> so when Zacchaeus is saying that, and he's saying it to everybody, what he's saying is, "Come on, listen, put your claims in. If I if I stole something from you, I'll pay you back fourfold." I don't think he was a very rich man by the end of that day. I <clears throat> I think things had changed in his life by the end of that day. But <clears throat> what he was saying was, "Listen, I was wrong. I want to be right with God. I'm not going to profit from my wrongdoing." Now catch that thought. You can't profit from wrongdoing and at the same time repent of it. That's not possible. You can't, you know, you can't have it both ways. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And you restore it. You put, you, you put it right. So if you've gained from wrongdoing, you know what? Give it up. You say, but nobody knows about it. 
Yeah, I've had it for a long time and nobody knows about it. Yeah, I stole it. Give it up. It's not yours. Give it up. You are not going to be able to effectively repent of something while you hold on to it and enjoy it. If you did wrong, listen, <clears throat> give it up, get it right. And then restriction. Uh, <clears throat> just because the sin has been forgiven does not mean that further consequences should not follow. In God's providence, the consequences are often needed for motivation to make lasting change. Now, <clears throat> understand this. God does not put consequences in your life just because you've annoyed him and it's payback. You annoyed me, but I'm going to annoy you for a long time. That's not what God does. When God puts consequences in your life, he puts consequences in your life to help you learn the lesson and stay right. right? Now, folks, I think there's always consequences for sin. Always something. There's always something. We never get away with it. There's always something that creeps into our life. You know, now, we can repent of it, and we can be forgiven, and you know, we can be clean and clear with God, and we can open up, and we can listen, and we can talk to God, but there's always consequences. There's always lingering consequences. <clears throat> we just don't get away with stuff, right? <clears throat> uh, restoration to fellowship and restoration to trust and leadership are two entirely different matters involving in different, entirely different sets of qualifications. Uh, <clears throat> right, the restoration of fellowship requires a change of heart about the sin. Confessing the restoration... Conf confessing the restoration, to, the restoration to trust or leadership requires a change of character, forsaking. <clears throat> you need to forsake the old way and... Replace it with a new way. Right? So we'd understand that. So here's the deal. I, 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 I do wrong. I stand before God and I say, Father, forgive me, it was wrong. Now, does that mean I'm changed? Not necessarily. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm changed. And you know this. Because you've done the, Father, forgive me, I was wrong bit, and then gone back and done it again, haven't you? Now, so what needs to change is our character. Consequences are about changing our character. Consequences are about changing our character, changing us so that we're no longer in the place where we want to do it. He, let, let, let's look, look at some examples of it. Adam and Eve, were they forgiven? They were forgiven, weren't they? Yes, God gave them the, um, uh, uh, the, the skins, the animal skins, to cover their sin, and um, they were forgiven. Were they let back in the garden? No, because you know you're not in the garden, don't you? <laughs> There's going to be tough days. You know you're not in the garden. Now, why did God not let Adam and Eve and us back in the garden? Consequences. Now, what have the consequences done for us, by the way? Can you imagine people like us in the garden with everything going our way, everything perfect, everything happy? We'd be monsters. We'd be monsters. Did you ever see a two-year-old that was given their own way? That was allowed to do their own thing? I mean, listen, here we have this, this, this little mite who's gorgeous, cute, and cuddly and everything else. It's a monster. Okay, when, when God allows consequences into our lives, what he does is, he takes us and puts us in a place where um, we're learning not to do that. See, Adam and Eve were never let back in the garden, and they were put in a constant place where they need God, they needed God every day, and so do you and I. 
And we need to need God. We need to learn of our need of God. Every day. Every day. There's not a day goes by, but I don't cry out to God for something. I need Him for something. There's not, there's not a day. I need Him. You need Him. That's what the curse is about. The curse is not, not about making life difficult for you for, for, for payback. The curse is about making life difficult for you so that you need God. So that you need Him every day. <clears throat> okay. What about Moses? Moses, <clears throat> um, and we looked at Moses recently at something else, but Moses is an interesting character. Moses murdered a man, and um, <clears throat> the consequences in his, li- uh, in his life for that were that he had to roam. But God actually uh, took him and used him as the leader after that. And then he lost it one day with the rock. And, <clears throat> and, he, and he struck the rock twice instead of speaking to the rock and said, Most we took the glory of God. And what were the consequences? He never got to walk in the promised land. There were consequences. God was upset. It wasn't payback. What did God do? God exposed a character flaw in Moses. And then he dealt with it. That's what God does, by the way. You know, <clears throat> he allows sin, expose who we are, and then he deals with it. And what did Moses have to do, by the way, with that in the end? Did, did it bother Moses? By, by the way, Moses is a f- fantastic character in Scripture. He is an incredible character in Scripture. Did it bother him that he couldn't go into the Promised Land? Every single day. He spent his whole life, everything in his life, was focused on walking into the Promised Land. That's what his life was all about. You know, he's, <clears throat> Moses' life is almost like, you know, you know the, the, the piano players will understand this, right? You, know, you can play a scale. Well, if you play a scale, you have to play the scale all the way through. Now, if you don't play the scale all the way through, uh, the piano players will go nuts. Try it out sometime, right? Uh, they will go absolutely... Isn't that right, girls? That drives you absolutely mad. Why? Because it's not finished. It needs to be finished. Right? Moses' life, the last note was left empty. By the way, he does get to go in. Uh, he meets Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He gets, gets to go in later, but not in his lifetime. He doesn't get to go in. Right? Now, <clears throat> why did God do that to him? Moses comes and he pleads with God and he says, <clears throat> you know, look, can I go in? And God says, don't speak to me about it again, Moses. He was sharp with him. So what did Moses have to do? Moses had to say, okay, I accept. I understand these are the consequences. I understand, I accept. And what we have to do with consequences is we have to accept them. There were consequences in David's life because of his sin. He had to accept them. And David's consequences went on and on and on and on and on. They just went on and on. And he had to accept them. What you've got to do with the consequences in your life is accept them. Yes, Lord. And accept them. <clears throat> um, David was used to go to, <clears throat> of God to write many psalms but the consequences went on. The prodigal son, what about the prodigal son? Did he pay any consequences? Did he? What were the prodigal son's consequences? He got no inheritance. Remember the <clears throat> look there, Luke fifteen. Luke 
Luke 15 and verse 20. We read some of it last week, right? Luke 15 and verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it that we may eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now who's the father a picture of? Who's the father a picture of? God. Who's the son a picture of? Us. Right? We repent and we come to God uh, and we get forgiven, right? Um, <clears throat> Alright, verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field uh, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, uh, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which was, hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. By the way, we're not going to look at it, but there's two sons involved in this story, and both of them are purposely and purposefully involved in it. There's one son who gets it wrong, recognizes he gets it wrong, and gets it right. And there's another son who hardens his heart and never gets it right. Right? There's two sons involved in it, and um, the, the, the second son ends up the worse off, because he won't, he won't get it right, and he's not going to get it right. But notice this, um, and he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. What's left for the, for the prodigal son? Nothing. He spent it all. Consequences consequences. There's always consequences with sin. There's always consequences. <clears throat> so we need to understand that there, there, that there are consequences and we need to accept them. There's, there's, there's no point in us fighting against them. There's consequences. You know, some things you, you, you do in your life, there's consequences for them. You say, but it's not fair and it hurts and it hurts all the time. Yeah. But it's consequences. And they're not, the consequences are not something just to get even with you by God. The consequences are something that the character flaw that was revealed in the wrong you did need, uh, are, it's needed in that context to make it right. right? So understand that there's, that there's consequences sometimes. And that's fine. Accept. Listen, <clears throat> forgiveness means I'm clear with God. I'm completely clear. And you know what? Nobody can ever take that from you. If you're willing to repent, nobody can stand between you and God. It means you're clear with God. That, that, that relationship can be right and sweet and great. But there will be consequences to some of the things that you do in your life. And listen, what you need is Him. Here's the thing. If you won't accept the consequences, what you do is you put between you and Him. And that's what we do. People don't realize that's what they're doing. But they do. what they're saying, I'm not taking that. That's not fair. No, accept the consequences. It's okay. God's in charge. Just keep things right between you and him. That's the most important thing. Right. <clears throat> okay, then last uh, C there on your sheet. And then we're done, right? <clears throat> radical amputation. Now, radical amputation is a term that was coined by um, <clears throat> Jay Adams. 
Uh, and when he talks about radical amputation, he's talking about when Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, chop it off. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out, because it's better for you to go into life blind or maimed than to go into hell's fire. Now, he wasn't talking about you, uh, <clears throat> you know, chopping off your hands or cutting out your eyes in that sense. He was talking about, you know, whatever it takes, do right. But the idea of radical amputation is this. If something is hindering your relationship with God, get rid of it. Radical amputation. Just get rid of it. Deal with the situation, get rid of it. Don't allow it into your life. Don't allow something that's, that's affecting your relationship with God to stay. That might mean a whole lot of things. That might mean a friend that constantly pulls you down, that constantly is causing you trouble, that's constantly is pu- putting you in the place where, uh, <coughs> you know, dr- drawing you into things you shouldn't be doing. Pray for the relationship. You say, well, hang on a minute, Pastor, that's very hard. I mean, they'd be hurt. Well, the Bible says this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. You know what? If you're going to love God first, you're going to come down on his side of it and make the choice in his favor. And certain people in your life, you're going to say, Listen, I can't do this. You know, Christians have broken engagements through the ages because they were engaged to somebody that wasn't going to walk with God. Um, Hudson Taylor, when he was a young man, was, in, w- was involved with um, um, a young lady. And was, I'm not sure whether they were engaged. I think, I think they were engaged, actually. They were engaged, but they're, 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 they were about to be married. And, um, <clears throat> but there was no way she was going to missions. Her father was not having it at all. She was not going to missions. He was happy for her to marry Hudson Taylor and to stay in England and to live a comfortable life, but there was no way she was going to missions. And Hudson Taylor had to make a decision whether he loved God or he loved this girl more. And on the basis of the fact that he knew God's call for him was missions, he was, he was going to China. He broke the relationship. You're saying, that's terribly hard. What about the poor girl? No, hang on a minute. He had to love God more than he loved her even. By the way, he'd have been no good for her the other way around. Absolutely no good for her the other way around. So understand this. There are times in life when we have to radically amputate things. We have to cut them off. Painful as it may be. But it's important that we actually cut them off so that we can actually have the right relationship uh, with God. Okay, radical uh, radical amputation. This may mean eliminating, that is, radically amputating friends who have a negative influence, destroying sensual music recordings, removing fleshly television programming and reading materials from the home, avoiding... any time alone, particularly if an addiction is involved, changing a work schedule that keeps you away from home or church, destroying credit cards, cancelling internet access or cable or satellite subscription, or removing the television altogether and so forth. What's it saying there? If something is drawing you into sin and coming between you and God, it's not worth it. Get rid of it. And by the way, that's an individual thing. That's an individual thing, you know. <clears throat> Something in your life may be a problem, and it wouldn't be a problem in my life. Something in my life might be a problem for me, and I have to say no, and it wouldn't be a problem for you. That's an individual thing. Don't try and enforce what God is dealing with you about on everybody else. It doesn't run that way. But understand this, that if between you and God this thing is causing a problem, get rid of it. Dump it. Because the most important thing in your life is that relationship with God. All right? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> 
So conclusion, the loudest noise in the soul are the agitations of a guilty conscience. The way out start, starts with confession and cleansing so that we can have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. So that when you lie in your bed at night, there's nothing coming into your mind. It's, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, i got to fix that. That you have a conscience that's clear. Listen, you will do wrong. Repent of it, get it right, fully right. Bear the consequences. And learn to walk with God. And enjoy his presence. You know, <clears throat> we sung a few minutes ago, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. Now, <clears throat> I think for many of us that's not entirely true. The things that thrill our souls are not Jesus. But you know what? The reality is that the only thing that can completely satisfy you is Jesus. And so, when it's not him that's satisfying you, when it's not uh, Jesus and he that's thrilling your soul, it's always the second best. And it's never satisfying. That empty yearning that constantly keeps gnawing away at you. He's the only thing that can satisfy you. Anything that comes between you and him is your enemy. Anything that, that gives you that agitated conscience because there's something between you and him, deal with it. Get it right. He doesn't make it hard. He doesn't make it difficult for you. Just deal with it. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for uh, your word now, Lord. Would you help us? Help us to uh, take on board the truth and to walk with you in the light and to know your presence and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.